You are listening to the Art Wonk Podcasts, a show where we take a deep dive into what it takes to be successful in marketing if you are a visual artist or craftsperson. We will explore how the art world works as well as how to better achieve your professional goals. I am Neville Park, your host and resident Art Wonk. So settle in and join me as we get today's show underway. This is episode 18, How to Price Your Artwork, part 2. Hi everyone, hey Neville here. Look, I'm really sorry to do this right at the beginning of a show, but I want to apologise for the sound quality of what's about to follow. We're in the process of trying out a whole lot of new recording um, studio effects things, um, recording decks and microphones, and unfortunately the last show, or the show that you're about to hear, the last one I recorded, it didn't come out to the best quality that we'd like. But unfortunately, uh, there's enough in there that's of value that I, I, I'm, I'm loath to try and re-record it. I don't work with notes. Um, basically, what you get is a free flow of my ideas. And um, I found if I kind of edit too much, I try and redo these. I forget what I said when, um, and I leave out stuff that's important, uh, or at least important to me, and I hope useful to you. So this is just a little apology in advance uh, because this was recorded on something new. Um, it's something we won't be carrying on with. Uh, and a big shout out to um, our local rock shop in Nelson who have been helping me out with technology as we're trying different things. Um, guys have been absolutely brilliant. Uh, that's not a paid ad, nor was it requested. Just literally, it, I tell you, this is new to me in so many ways and having enthusiastic people who want to share, it's brilliant. So, um, good luck on this one, uh, and I hope that it answers some of your questions. Thanks. Yay! Hey there, everyone. Hey, kia ora. Welcome into this episode. Today, we're talking strategies for pricing, and specifically strategies for pricing your work if you're an artist or a craftsperson who is making things to sell. Um, and we've just had a podcast episode we did all about, um, or I did about this sort of the overriding idea of what a strategy is and everything. So today I thought we'd talk about how you go about doing this thing. How do you strategize? What do you do to actually physically make this happen? And I'm excited by this because I live for this. This is what I do. Um, and as such, I'm really comfortable with it. And I'm comfortable because I'm informed. This is something I'm attached to that happens regularly enough that I'm not intimidated by it. And I want you to get to that place too. And there's always a bit of doubt. There's always that sense of, am I being too greedy? There's that whole imposter complex thing that can kick in where you start to doubt yourself. And finding a way around that normally comes from when you get to a point that you're not thinking, you're feeling, you're achieving something that comes from a deeper place than just your head. And pricing, weirdly enough, works the same way. If you're well informed about your position within a marketplace, if you're well informed about what people are expecting from you and from people like you, um, and what people have done before you, and what you can do differently, or maybe the same, 
then you have the answers given to you. You don't have to think it up. You don't have to do a lot of complicated maths. You just have to have an understanding of your market. Now I say just, and I know for a fact that for a lot of people that is a big just. They don't want to invest the time. And I have no sympathy for you if you can't be bothered doing this, because if you're going to spend 10 hours on a piece of artwork and five minutes on your marketing, what a waste of 10 hours. You just made the most brilliant thing in the world, something unique, something magical, something beautiful, and then you're just going to go, where, where is the sense in that? You owe it to yourself, you owe it to the work, and you owe it to the people that will enjoy that work if you can get it out there to just invest a bit of time. Sorry about the little sort of rave, but you know, I, th this is something that annoys me is how many artists go, oh, I don't really like doing the whole selling thing. Oh, money. Ugh. It's like bollocks. I show up with a check or hand you a wad of cash and all of a sudden, money! You know, there's a whole lot of stuff. People are really happy to have it. So it's a mindset. And most of the time, what I'm really hearing people when they say that, that they don't like doing it is what they're saying is, I'm not sure what I'm doing and it makes me nervous. Now, I'm happy to accept that answer because we're all nervous when we're not sure what we're doing. So if we put together a strategy that gives us some answers and we have a basic plan of what we want to achieve, all of a sudden this can get fun. You can start finding opportunities you didn't even dream were there for prices you didn't even believe you could achieve. But you've got to have a plan and you've got to have a strategy. So let's quickly do it again. Strategy is a method or a plan chosen to bring about a desired future so you need a plan or you need some kind of a method to get to this future place if you've got that strategy and you've got a plan then the next little saying plan for growth and then grow with your plan so plan to get better to get to a price point that you want and then you work with it and in it you need the plan so that you don't get distracted. If something comes up that's an opportunity and it doesn't fit your plan, think really hard before you step into it. Because sometimes things look really magical and appealing at first and then when you do a bit of a breakdown, you discover that they're not really that good for you. And then the other thing we've got to keep in mind is value. We have to add value or find value to get the price points we want. So with those three words in mind, let's do a bit of a breakdown. I'm going to do an imagined pricing structure for somebody. I'm going to pick a painter because painting's a nice, easy thing. Most of us, if we aren't painters, we can understand a painter's world. They take pigment, they apply it to a surface, and most paintings hang on the wall or are done on a wall, so it's pretty straightforward what their requirements will be. Um, and the subject of the painting, we're going to go with landscape um, and we're probably going to let's pick acrylic because it's, it, it's a nice easy medium. So we're a landscape painter painting in acrylic and we're painting regional 
landscapes, things that mean something to the market that we stand in now, to our local environment, our local people. So we're not talking about going global or anything just yet. A nice, easily recognizable um, beach or mountain or, or whatever it is near you. And that's what we're looking to price. So how do we go about pricing it? Um, there are those who will tell you that you add up the, um, or multiply the length of the painting by the, the height of the painting, um, and that will give you a square inch um, thing, and then you put a certain price per square inch, and there you go, you've got yourself a pricing plan. And if there is ever a stupid thing for anyone to say, that's it. I mean, truly dumb. Um, and I'm sorry if you've been using it. Uh, I, I it just it it devastates me to think that people are doing this because all you're doing is selling real estate. You're selling a cover for the wall. There is no reflection there to recognize value, and there's no nothing there for prestige. Nothing there to acknowledge your skill level. You can change the price per square inch for those things, but it's still so formulatic that it doesn't mean that a good painting is worth more than a bad painting. You're just selling paintings. And I want to price art. So let's put that type of stuff one side completely. Okay, it's there, but I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about competitive pricing or premium pricing where you actually look at what is in the market and work out how you can either achieve the same as people that you aspire to be like or better than them even. And that type of pricing takes a little bit more um, groundwork. First off, you've got to work out some basic things. So who is selling paintings like yours? Who else is out there doing landscape paintings in acrylic? Um, where are they selling them? Okay, so the place is important. How long have they been selling them? Have they got a following? We need to know a little bit about the people who are doing the work and how much are they selling them for. And with that basic knowledge, just for our local environment, ignore global ones or other places just yet, just our local market, we can look at a pricing expectation because you, as lovely as you are and as unique as your work is, and as bloody marvellous as everything you're going to do in the future is, you are not the first to do it. If it's already out there in some form, then the conversation started before you woke up or even existed. And as such, you have to join the conversation. You can create new things and new, new conversations, but you have to accept that first and foremost, the language we're talking about right now is pricing. And the conversation we're talking about is how much value something has and how much people will pay for it. So what price will they pay? And that conversation happened already a whole lot of times before you even thought about being a painter. So you go and you're going to join that conversation. And if there's a group of friends standing around and they're all talking about the weather and you rock up and say, hey, what about this truck? They're going to stop and look at you and wonder why the hell are you talking about trucks in the middle of a weather conversation. If you want to join the conversation, start talking about the weather and then swing it around to trucks, fine. So we have to accept that the people who are already doing it have already set in place a conversational value about price. 
So we join the conversation. We look at what's being offered. We look at what they're asking and what they're getting rewarded with in the way of pricing. And then we take a step back and we go, do I want to do what they're doing? Do I do it as well as they're doing it? Do I do it better than they're doing it? Do I do bigger, smaller? You know, where do I fit comparably into this conversational value that's already been established? And instantly you're going to be given a pile of information for free. No maths necessary. They've got prices sitting out there that range from $200 to $4,000 for things similar to yours. It's like, holy hell, okay, what do I do with this knowledge? Well, first off, I'm going to have a look at my stuff and go, I think it's better than the $200 stuff. Those $4,000 ones, they're pretty cool. I've got some, some stuff technically I've got to work on. I probably sit just somewhere between them, maybe around the $2,000 mark could be my market. So I've already found some answers. I found what the range of the options are in my local environment, and I found what there is out there already being supplied. And if it turns out in the $2,000 bracket, there's a heck of a lot of people painting stuff. I can be sure there's going to be a lot of competition. So I have to look at other things than just my painting as well. I need to look at opportunities. Where could I place, you know, place my stuff? I could put it on the internet. I could start a website and start selling direct. And if I do that, that's perfectly good as an option. I could even be talking to a bigger group than my local market. But, you know, starting off, I want to have local because people know me and people want to see me succeed. So they'll support me if I make it available to my locals. So I've got a price point. I've got to work out where I'm going to go. And if it's a crowded market, if there's a whole lot of people in that crowd busy all offering similar things at a similar price, it's probably better for me if I want to get that price easily to either work out, is there enough market for all of us? Or do I need to either get a little bit better so I can get into that limited supply place where they actually sell them for more, but they seem to get at different clients? Or do I need to maybe drop my price expectation? Go in for that lower price point where there might be a different market? And this is where your strategy kicks. You've got to have an idea of what your end goal is so that you can work out which of these choices is going to work for you. Now, I'm, I plan for growth. I want to get better. I know I'm going to get better. I've already seen some amazing movement in my skills as I practice them. I want to be rewarded more for what I do because I'm putting more and more energy in and I think what I'm making is more magical. So I'm I'm hoping to get to that higher price point. So why start low? It doesn't work for me. I, I, I want to start higher if I can. So my strategy will come down to finding the right places to place my work. And the pricing that I choose is going to be a long-term relationship with the market. I can't price just for one piece at a time because the downside of doing that is that people can't talk about me with any confidence because they don't know what I stand for. You know, pricing is part of your branding. So I'm going to choose a place that maybe has, with my $2,000 expectation, that's kind of the bottom end of what they sell, but they get up to the four dollars and $6,000 mark in their pieces regularly. 
Um, and I know that there are places that sell for even more, but that's where I'm going to target. I want to get into that place where I'm at my my peak, is just just above where their entry level is, so that as I grow, I can grow with them. Um, and by making sure that my price structure is going to fit their price structure, that might make a big opportunity for me to get in. Um, I've got a sense of what my, my price is. Now I have to work out what my value is. What's my worth? What makes me different? What are people going to talk about when they buy a piece of my work? Because trust me, it doesn't matter how good your brush technique is, how precise your strokes are, how good your color is. They're probably not going to talk about your technical stuff. They're going to talk about the passion, the, the storytelling. Um, your title can actually impact your price. Your choice of, of perspective or where you place the work will definitely talk about price. So your strategy also has to be around what am I going to do with this work going forward? Am I interested in producing a pile of the same thing so I become very, very reliable? Maybe I'm going to paint landscapes with extraordinary skies and not a lot of land. That's acceptable. That might be my point of difference. I might choose to make my skies abstract and, and cubist while my landscapes aren't and try and marry styles or whatever. But I've got to find a voice. I've got to find a value. And remember that the whole thing, price is what they're going to pay but value is what they think they get from it. Not what you tell them they're going to get from it, but what they think they're going to get from it. And if they think they're going to be able to stand in front of their friends and, and be proud of this new thing that they own by this great up-and-coming artist, then part of the value for them is that they have fostered you and your journey. Um, and you know that, that, that's their issue. That's what they want to share. So making sure that your value that you put on it is that you give them permission to do that comes down to your placement. And, you know, if you've got a style thing, then you're looking for those opportunities. So we try to find a point of difference when we're looking for pricing because we want to be able to sort of justify a difference. If you are going to present something that is regularly available in a whole lot of places in a very similar way, then you're most open to market swings. You're open to being pushed around on price. People will start to actually do things like look for discounts because, well, you know, it's not really that special. There's a whole lot of others. Um, so you should be looking within your pricing strategy to also keep in mind what your creative strategy is. And we have some very good artists that I represent, and some of them have made... Um, the form with which they present their work, their own unique difference. Some of them, it is their volume of work that they make, but they make very different pieces each time, but they come up with a lot of different things. Um, and you know, a whole lot of the stuff that we're talking about now is just literally trying to find that place where you think you can, you can own it for a while. You will grow out of your own market, so don't be worried about evolving. It'll happen. Um, but you need to find a space where you think, no, I can offer value here. And the gallery or the representative will help guide you at that point. So if you go in and you say, I would like to earn $2,000 per painting um, or sell for $2,000 per painting, and they say, I don't think so. 
I think in our market, you're probably more likely to get around 1,200. Don't go, oh, that's not good enough. Uh, it's not a point that you should argue about at that point. You're just still looking for information. You can say to them, well, how do you think I can get at that $2,000 mark? Why are you pricing me there? And then listen to their feedback. They may say to you, we've already sold 20 like this last year and we believe the market's saturated. And you can't see that when you're standing there right now because you can't see what went before you. So get the information and then you have to look at your strategy and go, well, I still want to grow. I still want to go into this place because I've got these needs or desires. So the market will help you find a price. If you have no equivalent locally, then you have an opportunity. You're now talking of something that has a rarity. The lack of availability is an opportunity. You still have to ask a couple of questions. Is it not available because nobody wants to buy it? You know, um, I lived in a region in New Zealand where people used to love buying pictures of this one particular hill range that you could see from town. And I delivered and installed into people's homes paintings that we sold to them. They hung them on the wall next to the window. And they stand back and they go, wow, that looks wonderful. And you look at the painting and you realize right outside the window is exactly the same scene. And you wonder, why did they buy the painting when they've already got the view? Well, culturally, they liked paintings. And, and in that particular grouping, the circle of friends and people that made up the, the art buyers of that town, they were very comfortable buying paintings, but they were uncomfortable with things that they didn't really feel others would relate to. So we sold a lot of paintings of those hills. It's impossible to work out why humans do what they do sometimes. But one of the things they do is they follow trends, they follow each other, they follow the guidance of those that they aspire to be like. Because that's just part of the survival part of our lizard brain that got us here. You know, when the tribe was moving from one part of the grasslands or the steeps to the other part, if you happened to be the fool that was happy up on stilts, making a lot of noise, staggering off from the group and, and doing your own thing, then there was a chance that there was something that was prepared to eat you who was waiting off on the sides for you to fall off your bloody stilts so that they could get you. You know, the ones who stuck to the group, they didn't get too outlandish, they didn't do too much different, they were safe. And that's how trends work. People follow what they think everyone else is doing. It makes them feel safe. So when you're coming for a pricing thing, you're looking for opportunities like that because that can give you a regular income. But you're also looking for opportunities like that because that can give you the parameters to become the stilt walker. Um, and we don't have anything waiting to eat us for most of our lives here anymore. So, um, you know, you might fall, you might make a fool of yourself, but there's definitely a place there for marketing purposes to really get your own followers. And suddenly there's a whole lot of stilt walkers behind you. And that's fine. But it should be planned. So we're going to sort of move on from this quickly now. We have worked out what we think our market potential is based on what's out there. We do not have to accept it. We then put in place a strategy to change what we don't like or to embrace what we do. But the pricing that's already in play 
is going to be in the minds of those who are in the market because that's what they're going to get offered elsewhere. So once you know that, you can take that opportunity and really evolve it into something special. So what are we going to focus on? Our product is what we make, our art. And if we're selling a product like um, a pair of earrings, then it can still be an art piece, but there will be a conversation within the other earring makers out there in terms of what they're prepared to accept. And you have to know that so that you can work out whether you're having to upsell or find a point of difference. Go to platinum and diamonds so that you get that price expectation of prestige, whatever it is. If it's paintings that you're making or pottery that you're making, um, or sculptures or photography, whatever it is, there will be a market norm in your area. And if there isn't, there's an opportunity. You have to look somewhere else to get the price point and then work backwards. You're looking at the place you want to sell because that is an important part of it. Places add value and value is what you're trying to get at. You're trying to increase the value of your work because people will pay more if they perceive value. You don't want to get into a direct price comparison. Remember, the price is what they pay and the value is what they get. But if you're in a price comparison market, then you've got a totally different set of things. Um, because that's when people start to compare what they're worth to what you're worth. And that's really, an, it's a tricky one. How, how do you do this one? Now, I've heard it a lot of times. I know a lot of you will have. It's that question that they ask, how long did this take to make? And I used to get really annoyed because it's like, what the hell does it matter how long it took? Do you like it? But really what they're saying is, I know what my hourly value is or my annual income is or how I sell my time or trade my time for value. And now I'm trying to work out how you've come up with your value systems. Um, and it's actually people trying to reach out. It's a great question when you view it right. It's frustrating when they want to know because you don't really want to say, well, actually they don't take very long, but I want you to pay a lot for it. Um, because you don't know whether or not your maths is going to meet their maths. I tend to deal with that question by saying, um, and even with a little cartoon that I've drawn, you know, how long did it take to do? I'm not really sure. It's taken me a lifetime of practice and trial and error to get to the point where I can do them. That one's probably got a couple of hours of, of stuff in there, but that was involved with interruptions and thinking, and I'm so damn vague because I don't need them to do the hourly calculation and work out that I'm being I'm asking for a lot more per hour than they earn per hour because that changes the conversation about their value versus my value. So we tend not to want to get into that. And picking the right place to put your work can help with that because the place comes with a set of, of value systems. So people know when they walk into my gallery that they're actually going to pay more. They just know it because the place is full of expensive, beautiful things. The fact that they're there tells me they're prepared to pay more. So we don't go there. If they're looking to shop on price, like my dad buying those shoes with the broken laces then they also know they'll get less for what they pay. And that's just the way it works. So place does help a lot. Availability, the rarity of your piece or of things like yours can impact pricing structure and hence the strategy that you would use. 
but again, you've got the right place as the framework. So if you're selling online, um, there's an awful lot more people will be offering something similar to you because all the people are online from other countries where there might not be an availability issue suddenly come into play. So pick your place wisely. And then prestige, adding prestige. So having a compelling story about you and why you make it. Um, having a good reputation through just making good work, but also maybe the outlet having prestige. You know, all those things add up as well. So you've got to consider everything as part of your strategy. How am I going to present all these things to grow my price? So we've got that. We've got a sense of what we're trying to do. We have a rough idea of what's already out there. There's a few things we also have to keep in mind because it's totally necessary. Competitive pricing. So we're going to do comparative pricing. We've looked at that. That's looking at what others have and what's out there. Competitive pricing is where we choose if there are somebody out there that we want to um, pick their sales up or we want to get the, the customers they're getting. You could price a little lower, but remember you can't price a lot lower or you create a different value system and the people who are shopping now who will pay $2,000 and you think, well, if I put it out there at 1000 I'm going to sell a lot more. You don't. Because those $2,000 shoppers who were prepared to pay $2,000 were also buying value and at $1,000 they're going to start questioning the value. Is there something wrong with this? Why is it so cheap? How come all the others are charging 2000 and they're only 1000 There must be something wrong there. And people have pretty good bullshit meters. They'll work out if you're trying to spin one. So um, competitive pricing is a dangerous pathway, not easy to, to master. Premium pricing, where you actually go the other way, you put your price up and you say, well, it is more expensive because it is better. You have to back it up. Um, and that means you've got to have something that makes it better. Just because you think it's better isn't enough. So you're looking again, you're looking at your placement or the materials that you've used. That's where the diamond and platinum stuff starts to kick in because there's something that comes with it, an implied value. Um, but that's an option. You can look at bulk sales. So you can actually literally try and sell lots um, by filling a space up. They call it pile them high, move them fast in the supermarket. Um, and that type of technique doesn't work with a lot of art, but it may work for you as long as you can make a lot of things. Um, and, you know, the bundling option that I talked about in the last podcast, where you're looking at your value um, and then adding something to it. You know, whether it's a case of if you buy a number of them to go together, then they get a bit cheaper or whatever. And that's a pricing strategy but it's also a manufacturing and a marketing strategy, and it's hard to control if it's not in your space. So I'm looking at my work going, I'm going to aim for the mid-range. I'm going to look at that $2,000 place. I'm going to get comfortable in it, try and work out how to feed it reliably, and then I'm going to foster a market above that. I'm going to look for people who want to spend more and work out what they want from me. It's likely to be that it's going to be my values that they're going to be looking for, my story, what it is I put into my work, the magic that I bring that others don't have. I'm going to look for a little bit of point of difference that I can exploit and, and explore because it interests me as a maker. 
I'm going to look at my availability too. I'm going to make sure that what I'm doing sits somewhere where I can actually control that access to market a little bit so that we can keep it um, from being so common that people just lose interest. And I'm probably going to look at my prestige issues as well. I want to make sure that my reputation as a maker stays high, so I'm not putting any rubbish out there. And I'm going to look at making sure that the people I deal with all come with value um, systems attached that meet my requirements. And that's going to grow my, my, my growth plan. I do need to know a few other things. I need to know my cost to market. So your cost to market is really what it costs you to make it. All of the things that I need to spend money on to get to the marketplace. In that, I do not include a wage unless I'm doing it at a time where I'm actually giving up paid employment. So if I'm doing it, I've given up money to do it, then that's a cost. But if I'm doing it in my weekend or I'm doing it in my evenings, then it's a profit because that was downtime. So I don't, I don't personally put a wage into my work until it's costing me money to make. I look at my cost first because that is realistically the thing that you have to cover. The wage you get is actually in the profit. So if you keep your costs low and your price high, then the profit coming through becomes a wage. And if I grow my profit then my wage goes up. But if I'm focused on so many dollars an hour, I start to value my time differently. And I don't know about you, but I get inspiration at weird times. I talk about my ideas sitting in my periphery, so they're right on the edge of my visual line. And as soon as I turn my head to look at them, the damn things move with my head. So for me to capture my ideas, there'll be this hint of something and it'll annoy me because I can kind of sense that there's this great idea there. And then at some moment when I'm not trying to grasp it, it becomes clear. I could spend days or weeks sometimes with this niggly idea that I'm trying to work out. I can't charge people for that. I'm thinking about my art. I'm working on my art, but I'm not actually producing anything. Um, and if it's something that you do uh, where you like to drink lots of coffee and sit and stare at your work for a couple of hours halfway through to work out what's good and bad with it, do you charge for that? So I don't believe that you should be charging an hourly rate on your work. Um, you should be looking at how to be productive and how to grow your profits so that you get paid for those times. But the reality is that when you come to an hourly rate, you start opening yourself up for all sorts of issues. For instance, when I first started carving, especially when I started carving steel, I had to actually invent my own chisels. I had to build all these things. I spent a lot of non-productive time being productive, helping me get to productive time. Nobody was paying for that. How the hell do I factor that into a piece? So my first piece would have had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of effort in there if I counted everything. Probably not hundreds of thousands, but you get the point. And then as I get better, I get quicker, I get more skilled, I achieve things faster because I now have learnt techniques and tricks. I have to put up my hourly rate because I need to be earning the same amount. I can't say, oh, well, it only took me two hours instead of ten, so I'm actually going to make it cheaper. It has to stay the same price. So my two hours are now costing the same as ten hours cost. And that's fine until I go to start the next new thing and now my hourly rate is way high. 
doesn't work. So I, I think knowing your cost to market, totally important. But valuing your time and, and the materials is different. Look at what it truly costs to make it and work out, can I afford to sell it and pay the commission and the other things and still make enough out of it that it will fulfill my needs? Know your future plan because that's how you're going to judge the value of opportunities. If all of a sudden, you know, the market as it's just happened recently goes and dies on us, what are you going to do with that? If you react by dropping your prices because you think everyone else is as poor as you are, and there's a whole group of people that aren't that poor that have done okay out of this the, the whole COVID thing, then they're still shopping, but you've just told them something about you. You've told them you don't believe in your work because they're out there shopping and they want the same things they used to want. They've got the same um, value systems that they used to have. They've got the same needs and desires to support the arts and they like to shop in the same place. And if that's still open and surviving, suddenly your price doesn't fit. So you've actually caused yourself some problems. So stick with your plan. Know your competitors. You need to know that because you need to know if suddenly people are moving into different areas. Why? Why is it that suddenly all those landscapers that you started painting alongside are now moving off to do portraiture work? Is it because there is actually a trend that they're following and they're feeling comfortable? Is there a market that they're following and you should be aware of it? Is there a skill base or something that you've proven so good at that they're getting really frustrated because you're beating them into sales and they're moving away? You've got to know that information. So always go back into your market and reevaluate regularly. You do need to know no local trends. Like I said, the people who bought the picture of the hills, that was a that was a guaranteed sale for me as a gallerist. As an artist, I had no interest in making those hills, by the way. But I was happy to stock them because it meant that the things that I was making, the customers were still coming for their, the pictures of the hills, but they were being exposed to my stuff and I grew my market alongside it. So it didn't limit me, it just created a different type of relationship that I had to engage in. And then global trends are worth knowing. Follow the Pinterest, follow the Instagrams, follow anyone who makes things similar to you or things you are inspired by or aspire to make similar to them because I think that's an important part of the thing too is understanding that we now live in a global environment and our economy is is linked our value systems aren't but our economies are and if the global trends mean that artists all around the world are starting to paint with red lots of red there's a high likelihood that at some point you're going to have a local person that you supply going, it's cool, but do you do red ones? And, you know, that can catch you off guard. So if you at least know it, you can say, well, yeah, I could, but, you know, everyone else is doing it and they're going out of fashion at the moment. The new trend is green. You know, I've got an answer at least. I've got a way of adding value by giving them a heads up of what's coming instead of getting stuck with everyone else's. But they may be like the hill people. They just want to have what everyone else has got. So I need to know that maybe I need some red in my, my, you know, my toolbox of choices. So, you know, the whole idea behind this podcast is to explain to you that you don't have to do the work. The work is done. You just have to harvest the information that's available. It takes a very short time to get a sense of a market. 
If you really want to know what's happening out there, bowl up to the gallery that you want to deal with or that you can be friendly with or that you've taken time to build a relationship with and talk to them. If you're doing it online and you're a bit worried that you're not sure who your big market is, pick a group and then focus your attentions on them. Tell people, my work is specially designed for lawyers' offices because it has a calming effect and it does this and this and that. I don't know what your answer might be, but you can actually choose your market. Just remember that as part of your strategy, if you're looking at creating an ongoing value system and a growth system and you're pricing for that, you also have to use it as a filter. It is absolutely pointless putting your work in cafes and bars and places where it gets seen, inverted commas, oh, but yeah, people will see my work, exposure's good. The wrong exposure's not good. If your price point isn't the same as the people who go to the bar, then you're going to have problems that just are, are, are avoidable. If it's the local tavern in your country town and the people who go in there are in their gumboots, and they do not, I'm not saying farmers don't buy art, but they don't as a whole go there to think about culture or think about art. They go there for a nice cold beer at the end of a hot day and to talk to other farmers about farming things. Don't think that hanging your prissy little glitter you know, picture in the corner is going to get you sales. It's not. Pick your places. Trust the information that's out there. You don't have to invent new markets. You just have to work out how to kind of tweak them. And I'm a firm believer in breaking the rules. That's why I opened my own gallery. I struggled with submitting my work to other people because I could not tell you what my work was because I was so hell-bent when I started out on trying everything. I didn't want to be known as a, an illustrator or as a, um, a metal Sculptor. In fact, at one point, I was literally cartooning in steel. I was a I was a conundrum. They couldn't work me out. I couldn't work them out. Easiest thing for me to do was open my own place. Then I had to learn how to create a market. And the first thing that I did was I went out and looked at what everyone else was doing, worked out who was doing it in a way that I could relate to best, and then I started emulating them. I didn't copy them. I emulated them. I made myself as similar as I could that people would actually get a sense of what I was about and as unique as I could so that they wouldn't think that I was just like them. I used all the best things that they were doing and I ignored the shitty things and I made better versions. Now that's not everyone's journey, it's not everyone's interest and not everyone's skill base. But you will have skills that you don't even know you have because you have knowledge that nobody else has about your work. And then you also have life skills. And if you start applying them to this process, you'll find the answers are really attainable. They're really there. And if you don't have a local comparison, if you don't have something that you can point to, if you decide that you're going to use your blacksmith's forge to forge spoons and you want to create a spoon market, then just go with what you would pay if you didn't have to worry about money. Not if you were super rich and you'd throw it around, because super rich people don't throw money around. That's how they get super rich. But if you if you didn't have to worry about money, what is a fair and reasonable price as a starting point? No maths. Just common sense. 
and then work backwards from there. I've got the sense of what I think it's worth. I think my spoon made by hand could sell for 50 or $60. And if I put a little extra flourish on it and a little extra work, I could get maybe 80 or $90. And I think I'd pay that if I, if I, if I, I like it. If I, if I could actually afford to buy one like that, that's what I'd pay. So start there. Then test and, and prove it. And you can do that with your paintings and other things. But nearly always there is a version there. And that is all it takes. Look at that. We got there. Welcome. Okay, so silliness aside, pricing is not yours to do. You don't get to choose any more than anyone else does how much your stuff is worth. The market will always choose, but you can influence the market completely by choosing all of the right places to be, right people to deal with, the right ways to talk about your work, and the right presentation formats to put it out there to get to a goal. But our strategy, remember, a method or a plan chosen to bring about a desired future is really importantly a plan to get where you want to go and your pricing is part of that you have to have a good pricing plan so hopefully that's given you something to work with that's kind of made a bit more specific than the last one I'm I, this is such a massive subject I swear to god the number of conversations I've had in the last 26 years about pricing is stupid and one of the things that, that, that really makes it so super hard is when people bring something in and they put it down in front of me and they say, how much do you think I should sell this one for? And I'll be able to give them a price straight off the top of my head because I've got all of those years of experience of things that were similar or different that I can draw on and say, well, you know, my gut says the people coming in here are going to spend this much because I've seen them do it or I've seen them reject it. Uh, and then finally, one, one last thing, and I promise this is it because I, this has been a very long talk. Um, there are magic numbers, and I don't want you to worry about numbers at this point in time because really what you're looking at is how to put a strategy together. Um, the numbers will disclose themselves, but there are magic numbers. And if you understand the psychology of numbers in, um, when it comes to pricing, it can also help you at that last stage. So what's a magic number? Um, 20 is a magic number. And it's a weirdly magic number, but it is a magic number. If I said to you that something was $600, then that's a big number, 600. I mean, it depends on what you're buying, but it's still a big number, 600. But if you're buying something for $600, you will spend 620 Trust me, you will. Because the weird thing about 620 is, it's almost 600, it's only $20 more. And $20, if I give you 700, I'm going to get $80 change. But I stop hearing the 600 and I focus on the 20. How am I going to make up 20? What's 20? And 20 is a small number compared to 600. So there are a lot of those numbers. A lot of times when it comes down to getting a magic price, and we'll talk about this in the next next show, which is really all about business pricing, how businesses make relationship pricing work, and how we as gallerists or 
um, as on-sellers or uh, art dealers, whatever you might describe us, how we work a room full of prices to make things relate to each other and what the values are and the, the way we price. But I can tell you for free, round numbers intimidate and you don't want $19.99 price points because everyone knows that that's just, it's silly. It doesn't fool anyone. We're far more um, worldly now. But weirdly, sometimes putting your price up by $20 will increase your sales by four or five times. And that's something we're going to talk about next lot. So thank you for your attention. I hope that's given you a sense of how you need to sort of break down your market and have a look at where you fit in it. Uh, and if it hasn't, give me some grief. Email me. Um, if you go to the anchor who we run our website through, uh, sorry, our, our podcast through before it goes off to all the other podcast um, hosts, there's an opportunity to leave a vocal message. Um, don't forget we're about to launch our fundraising um, drive to try and tidy up all of our systems and everything so that this information will be more easily accessible. So um, please keep an ear out because we will look forward to having some support on that. Uh, and if you are listening on Apple or other platforms and you can go and like us, please do. It does apparently help in terms of making it more visible. Um, and I'm doing this with a sense that it has some value to people. By the way, hey, we've had a thousand downloads. Who would have thought it? Thank you very much. That's a that's a pretty impressive number for what is less than two months of, of casts. Um, so, yeah, there's things happening. But please spread the word. Thanks again, guys. Talk to you next time. Yay! Hi, everyone. It's Neville here again. Hey, just before I go, I want to remind you that we now have a new email address. It's info at theartwonk.com. Uh, and also theartwonk.com is our website, which we're in the process of getting set up with show notes and follow-up from the shows. So please get in contact us, uh, with us if you have any questions or feedback, uh, especially if you feel that we somehow I glossed over something that's of importance to you. Uh, and yeah, really would enjoy having that, that connection with you as somebody who's trying to be a creative in today's environment. Uh, and let me know if there's stuff that I'm missing out or stuff you'd like to know. So now I'm off to my studio. Happy creating! <laughs>